Jim Stroud fights to save America from the woke agenda by exposing the left and inspiring right turns with facts and informed opinions. Prepare yourself for intriguing interviews, political snark, and social commentary from a patriotic and conservative perspective. And it all starts in three, two, one. The Things I Think About podcast begins now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Things I Think About. This is your host. You know me, love me, hate me. I don't know. I'm just glad you're there. (laughs) My name is Jim Stroud. And with me, as always, is a very special guest. Special guest, tell us, who are you and what do you do? I like the sound of that. My name is uh, Jeff Gray. I am uh, professionally a senior director for global talent acquisition, uh, work at a high tech company, which is called ServiceNow. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Now, uh, someone was sharing some information with me in terms of research for this show. They mentioned that uh, you were dealing with some sort of visual impairment. So I did some research and I wanted to run some things by you to see if my research holds true. Let's find out if it's fake news or real. (laughs) Okay. Now, according to my research, someone who is visually impaired can do Kung Fu at an amazing level. Is this true? That is 100% true. Yes. Okay, sweet. All right. All right. Good start. (laughs) (laughs) The second thing um, my research tells me is that people who are visually impaired can hear grasshoppers walking by their feet. So I can't validate that one. I will tell you, uh, well, I actually don't think, like if we did a straight up test, I do not think my hearing is any better. But I will tell you, I, I would imagine, or actually I'm pretty confident to say I am much more alert um, than other people. And I'll give you a really quick example of that. Well, I don't think I can hear mm. a grasshopper. Um, <laughs> If I'm having it, let's say you and I are having a conversation right now, and there's like uh, we're in a, gr- a, a a group of people, and there's another conversation like ten feet away, I can absolutely listen to that conversation as you and I are talking. I used to have a coworker at one of my companies, and he was an HR director, and he was fascinated about how much I could hear. And so, whenever I was having a serious work conversation, um, and he was around me, he'd be like 10, 20 feet away, and he just like whisper testing 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 and, <laughs> and, and his name was George and I'd be whoever I'm talking to I'd like carry on like just with a straight face and it was just say yeah yeah you know it's this is the answer by the way George I can hear you and I go right back to the conversation he's like he every time he'd try to find a way to like not where I can't hear him but he never had that it always worked <laughs> so yes I do think I have heightened sentence, senses is how I describe it <laughs> okay I, I guess that would uh, qualify as a superpower yes uh, which verifies my, my research. Now, the only, only, only other thing I want to run by you is this. Now, my research says also that unless you are a musical genius, uh, say Ray Charles or Stevie Wonder, um, overcoming visual impairment is near impossible. Is that true? I would say I have one of my biggest, and I'm one of these people, if I'm jealous of something, I actually straight up tell you I'm jealous. I have zero artistic talents and I have so much envy for people who have musical skills. Now, I don't know like if visually, if that impacts the ability to learn or or to do music, I just don't think 
if I had vision, normal vision or not, I would not have any musical talent. So it's an it's an area that I can't answer. <laughs> well, I tell you what, um, I sing in a key of off, so we can. Uh, <laughs> we're kinder spirits, and there we go. Right? Give me a few drinks, and I'll start singing. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that is it's this trend that I've noticed in the news, or just in society in general, is this need to be a victim that. Oh, woe is me. I, I was walking and I stubbed my toe. So now I'm injured and yeah. I can't achieve. <laughs> or or so, some people might call them Karens. I don't know what the right term is. I'm not hip. <laughs> but there are a lot of people who seem to thrive on this victimhood where everything is not as serious as they seem to think it is. What would you tell people who are who think that they are struggling for some sort of adversity when in reality it's really not that serious? So it's a great question. And this is where candidly, I've really struggled with my own self like reflection over the last couple of years, because it does feel like we have become more and more as a society. Uh, we almost look out for reasons to be victims. And I'm always careful how I want to say that because yeah, they're, they're absolutely victims in society. And so mm. what I've learned through my own experience, more on the professional side than the personal side, is I have learned this has been a, become a good opportunity for me to share some of my life stories and journeys where, honestly, up until two years ago, three years ago, I have never like really opened up to anybody, even in my family, as far as some of the experiences I have had as somebody um, you know, who is legally blind, visually impaired. And if it helps me, I'll, I'll kind of step back for people listening just to expand a little bit more about what, what I am, uh, who Jeff is. Please. And um, so I'm, I was born legally blind. And so in the sense, when I say legally blind, that's basically there's a, a, a medical standard of what makes somebody legally blind. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's people who have a vision of 2200 or worse and what 2200 means is essentially what like somebody can see at 20 feet a normal sighted person could actually see at uh 200 feet and my eyesight with correction so if i wear contacts or glasses my eyesight's 2400 so what i see at 20 feet technically theoretically you could see at 400 feet without contacts or glasses i'm 2,800 in right eye, 2,600 in a left eye. So again, mm. what I would be at 20 feet is how you would see something from 800 feet. So just to give perspective. What's also interesting when I, you know, my journey of my life, I'm also, I, I was born with albinism. So I'm one of those where if you see me, I have no pigment. So my hair is white, my skin is white. Um, and growing up, it was like a double whammy because I dealt with, um, you know, kids can be mean. <laughs> There's no other way of saying it. And I grew up with one having to deal with somebody myself, you know, who had low vision, who was legally blind. So I had to learn to adjust, but I received more bullying or discrimination as a kid because of how I looked, because I was somebody who looked different. Um, let me ask you, let me ask you this though, before yeah. you, not, not to cut you off, but being um, born without being an albino, yeah. um, did that not increase your white privilege in the United States? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that's going to be another story. <laughs> we'll talk about. And by the way, you can, I am so open to jokes. I, and those who know me, we, we have said every white joke to me, like there's, and by the way, when people are trying to be mean, it'll try to say a white joke, like egghead or something like that. 
Mm. I've we've my friends and I, my family and I, we have said every joke about myself, and uh, I have yet to hear like an original put down. <laughs> so, <laughs> but to your point, and let's I'll remember to get back to that because uh, I did have. I've had a few people in the last year accuse me of white privilege, which I do want to talk about because it, to me, that's an important topic, but I'll get to stay on focus. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about what I'm at, you know, the whole victim piece, but let's get back Please. to the white privilege part too. But I did like Please. that joke. Um, and so growing up as somebody who dealt with, you know, constant discrimination and bullying because of both either my vision or how I looked, I get it. I get it. What's like to be a victim. What I give so much credit to, um, is to my family and my friends growing up. Um, my parents, I learned, like, honestly, I can go back to, like, I'm one of these weirdos, too, who can remember things when I was one years old. And, like, I can literally remember them because I'll bring up examples that people, like, my parents didn't remember until I brought it up. But I can go back to, like, the age of two where I was, it was instilled in front of me from my dad and my mom that, yeah, I may be blind. I may look different. I am accountable for myself. And, you know, I could feel sorry for myself if people are mean, but in the day, I'm still responsible for myself. And so mm -hmm. to me, while it may sound a little bit insensitive to some, I don't view myself as a victim because people are mean to me. Um, that's, that's honestly a way of life. And I'll, I'll tell people even today, like if like, let's say for you as an African-American and myself, we go in a bar, I'll bet you money, I'll get more stares or finger points than you would. Um, I'm kind of used to it. Um, but that to me doesn't make me a victim. What makes me a victim is if I'm not able to um, truly live my life. Like for example, my wife had a stroke 11 years ago where she mm. now has significant cognitive impairment and physical impairment. I feel sorry for her more than I would ever feel sorry for myself because her life has altered completely because of that. Um, but as a kid, again, my, my parents is like, no, <laughs> if somebody's making fun of you, one, stand up for yourself, be proud of who you are. Don't let that, you know, don't hold back from that. But in the, the day, you're still accountable for yourself. And, you know, and like for me, I'm somebody like I, I grew up playing sports um, and I can be obnoxious and annoying to this day. I admit that. I, I, I joke it's because I used to play sports because, you know, those who play sports, you know how much people trash talk. So as a <laughs> blind kid who is all white, imagine playing basketball. And I played basketball all the way up through like city league in college. Um, you know, you learn to be quick witted. Um, but I am incredibly grateful to really truthfully my foundation that I it was instilled in me at an early age regardless of what my vision is or, you know, what I look like, I am going to be responsible for myself and there's nothing I can do. And two things that my dad did when I was young that still resonate with me today is when I was five, he took me to go see Ray Charles. So going back to the music and, you know, okay. as a blind person, it was important for him, for me to rec for him to tell me, even at the age of five, like, here's somebody who is totally blind. So his eyesight's worse than mine. And he's like, there's 5,000 people here watching him play that can be you. You can be anything you want. So that resonated with me. I will tell you, you know, and I forget the name of the movie, but the movie with Jamie Foxx, which was about Ray Charles. Mm -hmm. If you watch that movie, Ray Charles had a really bad opiate addiction. At that time, I saw him in concert. So now when I look back, it's like when my dad's teaching me this great life lesson about Ray Charles, I didn't know at the time he's like totally doped out. His mind. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we'll forget that part. And then the second thing my dad did, and again, this is you, you, you'll see the more I talk, I, I speak very highly of like my parents and how I was raised. 
um, he read to me the MLK I Have a Dream speech. And, and so I'm like five years old. So it's 1975 to date myself. And he reads to me this speech. And, you know, the, the part that resonated with that my dad wanted me to understand was, you know, MLK saying his dream someday is his, his daughters aren't judged by the color of their skin, but the content of your character. And that's what his message was to me. It's like, whether it's at the time was race or for me, disability, your character is what's going to define you, not the Jeff, the blind guy, uh, Jeff, the guy who's all white. It's what you achieve as a person or how you treat other people. And those are the two biggest things I remember, like literally before being 10 years old, which resonated with me and truly build a foundation of, no, I'm not going to be a victim. Yes, there's hurdles I have to achieve. But in the day, I'm still accountable for me. And as long as my brain is working well, I can find a way to get stuff done. Very good. Commendable. Commendable. Thank there, you. there is um, a lack of that <laughs> kind of spirit uh, in this country, I think. I think a lot of it is because of critical race theory, which, which teaches people that you're born an, an oppressor or oppressed based on your skin color, which drives me nuts every time. Every time I hear it, I think it teaches people to be racist, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, what it's are your really, thoughts on it? Yeah, it's really tough. And I'll go. So now going back to the, the white privilege thing. <laughs> um, okay. I, I've had in the last year, oh, I'm going to say six or seven people who I would have called friends at the time. Not, I will be clear. I won't say that they were ever close, close friends, but I would say they're friends who have, for whatever reason, through discussions, have accused me or labeled me as being white privilege. And, and again, like I said at the start, um, I, just, I never talked about, up until literally two years ago, I never talked about my journeys in life as somebody who's blind and the amount of discrimination I've faced. And like, to give you one quick example, um, so I, I graduated with two master's degrees. I have a master's in industrial organizational psychology and a master's in human resource management and industrial relations. Um, second master's is from my beloved University of Oregon. So those who follow sports, go Ducks, beat Ohio State last weekend. Um, <laughs> and, and I had like intern experience uh, actually through one of my brother's companies and through the US Forest Service. So graduating college, I had a, what I would say was a really good um, resume, a good background for equivalent experience. Um, and it, I, I, I lived in Portland after college and um, I had, and I lost count, but I would say anywhere between 15 to 20 phone interviews that turned into in-person interviews in Portland, no job offers. Like I went 0 for 15, 0 for 20, as far as in-person interviews. And keep in mind, in my background with the master's in industrial psychology and master's in HR, I'm interviewing for jobs that are human resource related, hiring related, talent acquisition related, where these people know what's legal and not legal as far as you know discrimination, uh, Americans with Disability Act and so forth. Mm. I interviewed with this one guy where his job, he was a PhD and his job was to put together assessment tests for companies to validate like who's a good employee to hire. So he knows the laws inside out. He literally would ask me right in front of me to my face, well, how could you get to work? If you're blind, how do I know that you could show up or even find where we work? Like just wow. the most illegal wow. question. Wow. It, it was disheartening. I mean, 
and I, and I have so going back to your point about being a victim, I had every right at this point to say, hey, I am a victim. But I can't stop. That's the message that I try to tell people, whether they're blind or not, is I can't stop, though, because if I stop, who does that hurt? It hurts me. <laughs> it doesn't hurt the person interviewing. And so I after, again, 15 or 20 interviews, in-person interviews where I get so excited for this job, I'd research the company like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Then, you know, all these reasons where like after the phone interview, we really like you, you have the skills we want. And then after the in-person interview, well, you don't have enough experience or we're looking for somebody else, you know, completely, absolutely. I can tell you I was discriminated against. I, after that 15 or 20 <laughs> some odd interviews, I made the decision to relocate down to the Silicon Valley. I moved down to San Jose. I had two job offers in three days. So one, it validated myself that I, I believed in myself that I, I do have a worth and a talent. But two, again, it shows there absolutely is discrimination. Um, so I use that as just one example. So now going back to when people have accused me of, like, for example, white privilege, mm -hmm. I absolutely do think it's racism. Um, I, and I stay on the sense because we're, we're really judged, and I agree with this, like, we should not judge African Americans because, you know, there's a large percentage comparatively, you know, of gang members or whatnot, or, you know, uh, the most murders, in, you know, 50% of the murders in the U.S. come from uh, African Americans. Sure. I still don't rate, I, I don't judge African Americans because of that. But somehow white privilege, we're judging white people because of the worst behavior of the, like the, the minimum group of white people or however you want to phrase it. Hmm. Um, and so when I talk about how friends will label me as being white privilege, I actually, I finally had enough. And I, I wrote one friend this long, long um, letter or email. And I said, you know, it really hurts. I'll finally say it. Like, it actually hurt me that you would label me as white privilege and make that instant judgment about me. Let me tell you about my life. <laughs> so I literally wrote, and it was probably three pages of, I just started writing of everything I'd gone through. I had people when I, I worked in high school, I worked at a park. I had two people actually come up and spit on me because of what? how I look. Oh yeah. And they, and they, you know, we were making all these like, cause again, I'm white, white. So I stand out as a super white guy and, and two, and I forget what they said, but they basically said, you know, Hey, whitey. And then like Lily just spat on me. I've had people uh, in school, like want to like challenge me to fights after school because I was different and, and little stuff like that. And then I, I wrote to her like, and besides that, I am blind. So imagine being at an airport where you can't read the, the gate signs of where your plane is, or, you know, um, I've never driven a car in my life. Um, or being downtown Portland, where again, that's where I grew up, where you're at a bus stop, and there might be 20 different buses that stop at that stop. And, you know, trying to decide what bus do I need to get on? And, you know, half the time I get on the wrong bus, for example, or ask people, hey, what bus number is this? And they would look at me with this weird look, like, why, why are you asking me that question? And so I just wrote on and on, like all this stuff I dealt with as somebody who's blind and looks different. And it was actually very cathartic. Like, like when I look back, it's like, wow, I really have dealt with a lot. <laughs> and so yeah. the, the dangers of white privilege to me is, Again, you're making assumptions about that person, which is what we don't want to do about somebody if they're black, Hispanic, female, male, gay or not. Like, why are we making these assumptions about people? Um, and so it just, 
it to me it's a dangerous road we take when we're judging people based off of their color one way or the other good or bad um when the individual person is what matters and i actually because i work in talent acquisition i um was talking to one of our diversity leaders at my company and we we're having a really good conversation and i asked her once um she had a picture of martin luther king on her wall and uh, her name was Kathy. And I said, so Kathy, help me understand. It's, it's, it's a very serious question. Um, you have Martin Luther King on your wall and you say that's one of your heroes. Martin Luther King, again, talked about his daughters not being judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. But it feels like everything we do now is judging people first. Like we put somebody in a bucket as their gender, their race, their sexual orientation, their disability. I said, isn't this all opposite of what counter to what MLK wanted? And her response was interesting because she goes, oh, I've never thought of that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and she, she, she's a good person. She means mm. well. But like, I absolutely believe, you know, from a recruiting perspective, we, I want to cast a wider net um, to bring in diverse talent. I always say from recruiting, diversity starts with diversity of thought. And diversity of thought can come from black, white, disabled, male, sure. female. It doesn't matter to me. But that's the, to me, the more diversity of thought we have, the better we do as a function, as a team, as a group, whatever it may be. But if we are deliberate saying, I mean, I've had people at many companies I've worked for as leaders who think they're doing the right thing, they'll come to me and say, hey, I want to hire a black person or a black female. And I'll first thing I go to that person's like, no, we're not going to have this conversation. We're going to hire the best talent available now if we're if we need to cast a wider net to ensure we're you know getting everybody an opportunity i'm all for it but in the day we're going to hire the right person for the job and i will tell that manager or yeah the manager like for me as again as somebody who's blind if i ever found out i was hired because i was blind i'm quitting that job i don't want to be hired because i'm blind i want to be hired because i'm the best person for this job um Good for you yeah. And Good so anyways, I think I answered your question. No, no, no. I'm glad I'm glad you were on a tangent too. Cause um when I said wow, you mentioned about uh, the, the person who had MLK on the wall, but they hadn't re- realized that yeah. before. When I said wow, I was thinking about what society and the mainstream media has done to the collective psyche of this country, to where we're at a point now where it's for a lot of people, color is everything. And, and it's like there's no room for Anything else? It's like a, it's like we're it's like a we are uh, moving backwards away from the lessons learned and the gains we learned and from the civil rights era. It's like we're trying to go back to it. I mean, I've I've seen reports, I've seen uh, news reports where some colleges were having black graduations as well as white graduations. You know, yeah. you have and you have the NFL uh, saying we're going to have two national anthems, although we are one country. It, it seems like we're just it's an effort to to divide people and take us backwards rather than forwards it really is yeah yeah and it's interesting right before this call i was watching um um it wasn't a podcast it was oh jason whitlock um he was interviewing isaiah thomas and and i'm not i'll be honest i'm not a huge fan of isaiah thomas and for those who don't know he was a a great nba player played for detroit yep um they asked jason whitlock asked him what are your thoughts and like if the nba would have two national anthems and he said he goes as a black person i am completely against it we want we all should be unified together and to have separate anthems is the opposite of unification um 
and you're exactly right. I mean, I see like in these colleges, they literally want to go back to having dorms that are all black. It's like, do we not learn from history? This is what we changed in the 60s <laughs> to get away from exactly. segregation. Um, I keep waiting for somebody to say we're going to have separate drink machines. Do we not forget Rosa Parks, you know, oh uh, who fought so hard not to ride on the back of the bus? It's like, I, I don't, it's, it's, we're repeating history from a different angle. And, and I tell people, it's like, discrimination is never an answer for discrimination. Um, you know, yeah. right is right. Wrong is wrong. Exactly. And, and I'm about, again, it's, and, I tend to simplify things. Um, mm. And for me, it goes back to like the MLK. I want to be judged by my character. What is wrong with that? That is actually how we all should focus. And one thing I was going to mention, and I forget the exact info, but people who are listening, like Google the Brookings Institute, they actually did a study and it's from like 2013, but I, I can't see why it wouldn't apply today. Basically, they did a study of all people in the U.S. And they looked at if you do three things, regardless of race, gender, sexual orientation, disability standard, if you do these three things, you have a 98% chance not to live in poverty. These three things, they're really tough now. You ready? Um, <laughs> is one, you graduate high school. Two, you maintain a full-time job from the age 20 onward. And that full-time job could be anything, but you maintain a full-time job. And three, you do not get married or have kids before the age of 21. If you do those three things in the US, you have a 98% chance of not living in poverty. How great is this country if that's the case? <laughs> it's a great country. It's a very great country. And I think a lot of people forget it's the same country that people get on rafts and risk their lives yeah. in shark infested waters to get to. Um, it's the same country that Thousands of people every day are rushing our border. We should have it closed, but because it's open, they're rushing to get in. You don't rush to get into a country that you're going to hate. Um, although some will probably try to get yeah. those people of that. Uh, <laughs> right. It's yeah. Yeah. You, you know what? Um, let me, let me get on back on the HR tip for a quick second. Yeah. Now, I, I know you have a lot of experience in TA. I think you've been in it for like, what, 25 years? Oh, way think? too long. 25 years. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and you work for some, some pretty good big companies and company names that, that we all know. Um, because of the pandemic, and a lot of people are working from home, uh, I wonder, well, I speculate because I don't know for sure. Maybe you know. But I, I speculate that because more people are working from home, more people with disabilities or uh, disabilities are working more. So I'm thinking that the pandemic has increased the employment opportunities of uh, visually impaired or wheelchair bound or whatever the mm -hmm. case may be. But I know that people don't always disclose their impairment uh, when they're looking for work because it's, it's pretty much, uh, I won't say it's proven, but the, the convention of wisdom is that you don't disclose it because that'll hurt your employment chances. Yeah. I guess all this is a roundabout way of asking, are people with disabilities, have they increased their employment opportunities? Are, are they are more of them working now uh, than before because everyone's working from home? So I don't have, to your point, I don't have actual data, but I can tell you even from personal experience, um, remote work absolutely makes it more feasible for somebody who's disabled to function um, in a workplace. And I even give an example where 
I've had two full-time jobs where I've worked 100% remote. One is where I'm at now, which I will do a little put. I love where I work now and the company's name is ServiceNow. And I truly feel I can be my authentic self here. I am not considered, hey, he's Jeff, the blind guy who happens to be a TA guy. I'm Jeff, the TA leader who could be a little annoying, obnoxious at times, but that's <laughs> who I am. Um, and so I will give a shout out to our company. I, I can be, uh, I feel proud to be a represent, you know, represent my company in that sense. Um, I've worked at other places where I truly have felt in some respects that my career progression and again I'm a senior director in my role now and I've led teams of up to 175 people I've led teams in 30 different countries 5,000 hires a year so pretty large teams um I know there's been some companies I've been at in the past where I do think like my career growth and progression was hampered by one because I was in the office there are some limitations I do have um it's hard for me for example to see um like um conference rooms, the signs on conference rooms. So there's times I need to ask for help to get to go um, where I need to go. Sure. I do believe there's been times that has impacted my ability to grow because I would have more of the label of, oh, he's, you know, the blind guy who needs help versus just what my skills are. So don't get me wrong. There's absolutely still discrimination in this world. Doesn't mean the world's systemic <laughs> discrimination with all other topics, but there is discrimination. Um, I believe technology really helps to even playing fields in many ways. When I'm like somebody on a Zoom call, a lot of people don't recognize me as, oh, he's the you know the visually impaired guy. It's I'm just Jeff. And I think through remote work, it makes it easier. Just very simple. Like if you're in a wheelchair and there's some places in the building you can't go that remote work makes that easier. So to answer your question, while I don't have exact data, I strongly believe technology remote work helps to even the playing field. Wow, wow. Uh, let's drop the mic there. Jeff Gray, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. I felt like I've learned a lot. I think my listeners have learned a few things as well. If someone wanted to contact you or check out your website or anything along those lines, uh, how can they reach out to you? That's a good question. I, I'm not incredibly active on social media because I think I would always get myself in trouble. Um, <laughs> the best way is on LinkedIn probably. And just look for Jeffrey Gray. Again, uh, I work at ServiceNow. You'll tell by the picture because I'm the guy in the really white hair. Um, absolutely connect with me through that. I would tell you, I love to help people with career advice, whether it's, um, I don't care what your background is, professional, non-professional, tech job, non-tech, male, female, black, white, disabled, if, if I can ever help anybody, if anybody has any uh, questions on job searches, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. I love to help people. So anything I do is help, I appreciate. And I had a lot of fun. This went by so fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, sir, you are the living embodiment of no excuse. You are responsible for your own success, accountability, accountability, personal accountability. That's all I heard in talking with you. And I hope my listeners heard that as well, because we certainly need more of it. 100%. Thank you, sir, for being on the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. You just heard the Things I Think About podcast. If you love what you heard, hate what you heard, or don't know what you just heard, Jim Stroud wants to hear from you. Contact him at jimstroud at jimstroud.com. And while you're at it, share this podcast and spread the word that it's up to us to save America.